This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny K, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. We got a great show for you. I'm sitting here with Luke, Steve, Tex, and the man himself, John Wellborn. How you guys doing? What's going on? We're good. Doing good. What's up, Danny? What's up, gang? Just getting ready to rock and roll. Luke, uh, I suppose before we get into like the nuts and bolts of the show, how did the Balboa Jack team do over the competition this past weekend? Well, we won best team name. Uh, and of that course was, you did. Of course <laughs> you did, right? That was clearly due to a lot of the help from uh, Power Athlete Nation. And so everybody everybody out there who, who voted for that, that was awesome. It was cool to get called out. Um, you know, this is the first time. I mean, John, when was the last time Balboa did like a team count? Wasn't it the games? Yeah, 2010 CrossFit Games. So since 2010, this is the first yeah. time Bal- Balboa really did a team competition. And uh, I guess, needless to say, there's a couple of things that worked against us in the sense that four out of eight of our athletes don't train CrossFit. And it was Callie, myself, Ben, and one, our other coach, Chris, and we don't really CrossFit. We're, we're on a completely different kind of uh, traditional CrossFit or competitive CrossFit. We're, we just have a different mindset, different approach. Three out of the eight were female female uh, athletes who had never competed before. So going in, uh, there was we had a lot working against us. But as soon as we got there, um, everybody just kind of unplugged. And as soon as that first workout started, uh, our team, which was me, Chris, and uh, Ashley and Aaron, we we were the I guess I'll call us the JV squad. Um, but you know our big thing that we prepared with was execution. You know, the signaling, who's going to do what, who's going to be the captain of this workout. And and it was great, man. We ended up finishing, our team ended up finishing like 40th place. And then uh, the the varsity team, which was Callie and Ben, uh, and then the student Dave and one of our athletes, Meredith, they finished top 20, something like that. But there were some ridiculous teams out there, like uh, some games level teams and we had, you know, the whole goal for us was just to change the training stimulus. And, you know, like we said before, it was more of a, a community stunt for our gym. You know, we had a lot of new clients. We wanted to get them out there, see that this, you know, you can turn up your intensity if you just pay a little more attention. And we sincerely think that that'll, assuming the movement is good, which is what we enforce in our gym, you add that intensity or that competitive element to your training and you're going to get the results that you're looking for, especially if it's, you know, aesthetics based or weight loss. And that's what a lot of our clients are, are at our gym for. Uh, I actually showed up as a spectator and had to leave. Uh, I was uh, not asked to leave, but I got a lot of dirty looks. Uh, something I'm not going to deal with very well is uh, really crappy coaching or I'm not crappy coaching, but, uh, you know, some crappy judging. And I felt that uh, our guys were getting singled out a little bit. Um, they had some options for the workouts, and our guys chose to go heavier. And we got kind of no counted on some things. And uh, 
you know, at a, just a local competition where people are having a good time to uh, just no count people for some ticky tack stuff. Like I could see like either get it or don't get it. But, you know, I mean, things like uh, when Dave was doing his snatches, he didn't bring his feet together. Uh, you know, he was basically wasn't moving his feet. He was just snatching it. The guy actually wanted him to move his feet and bring him together. And at that point, I uh, started kind of yelling at the judge a little bit. And, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so I, I, I kind of the problem I have is um, I don't give a shit if it's a uh, CrossFit competition or chess, uh, playing football, lifting weights. I don't like to lose. And I don't uh, uh, I have a hard time kind of differentiating between those two. So at that point, I was like kind of started yelling at him a little bit. And then um, I was like, you know what? It's better if I leave. Well, here's here's the deal. OK, we we were in more like the first five heats. Our teams went off and there was they went over these the standards and we adhered to the standards as they announced. them. OK, specifically, one of the one of the workouts had toes to bar. And during your toes to bar. An athlete of the opposite gender needed to be hanging on the bar while one athlete was doing their toes to bar. Okay. Um, that sounds horrible. Well, yeah, in I'm the middle, that. I hear you. We saw we saw athletes or the varsity squad, Ben's squad, saw athletes of same gender on the bar doing toes to bar, so they did it and they got no reps. Okay. Then after that, uh, there was heats that were blatantly blatantly violating that standard. And one of our athletes approached the judges and the, the guys, the MCs and, and the guys who organized the event. They're like, hey, we got no rep, eight reps because we had the same gender on the bar. But these guys are smashing it. And the guy's just like, well, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. And she's like, that's bullshit. That's not, you know, and kind of put up a fuss about it. Well, I think, you know, what we did is kind of dig our own grave there, because as soon as we did that snatch workout, so that it was a, it was our floater workout, which is a two minute, as many calories as possible on a ski erg, you know, like kind of like a C2 ski erg. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So it was two minutes, as many calories as possible on that. And then right after that, you had to transition directly to snatches. And, um, <laughs> we, you know, we, it would, the weights were for men, 75 pounds, 155 pounds or 185 pounds. So you had a choice. And so then you, it, was for, it was for max tonnage. And so the guys all selected to go heavier because, you know, that's what we do. We lift heavy weights. And uh, I was just amazed at the, um, at, you know, all of a sudden the head judge lady comes over and takes over for the one judge. And, dude, it just starts no counting these guys. And, like, dude, they were solid lifts, man. These guys are snatching it up no problem. And, like, little things like uh, the guy kept telling Ben, open your hips at the top. What he should have said is close your hips to the top. So Ben is looking at the guy confused and he's no counting him. And Ben has no idea why he's no counting. Yeah. Him. He kept telling him open his hips and then they no counted Dave, which by saying he wasn't bringing his feet together at the top of the snatch. And I'm like, I'm like looking at this dude and I just kind of started screaming. I'm like, let the kids play. <laughs> dude, we're here to have a good time. You know what? Like, I love it. I realize you guys are trying to enforce the standards, but it's like, come on, dude, this isn't the CrossFit games. Like, Dude, this is some like local throwdown in the gym, and you guys are trying to be fucking assholes on it. At which point, I'm like, you know what, I'm out of here. I, uh, um, I, you know, I, uh, yeah, it just, it, it just looked bullshit to me. And uh, yeah, I, I don't like to see my guys who train hard lose, and I don't like to lose, and I don't like to be associated with it. So, it's just best if I go home. And uh, you know the the. But it was a great event. A couple of the reps were a couple <laughs> Sounds of the like reps. It. Hey, let me ask you guys a question. What was on the line? Uh, like a thousand bucks or something like that. Oh, yeah, it, you know, it was, but it I was mean, peanuts. It, uh, the, the other thing I was a little upset about is uh, all the food trucks 
um, how come they don't serve carbs at these events? Like I went over the food truck. All they had was like hamburgers and vegetables. I'm like, you know what? Like these dudes are out here slaving. I'm like, can we get some churros for these guys? Can we get some, maybe some potatoes, <laughs> yeah. like a French fry? I mean, something. Yeah. I even asked the guy, I'm like, uh, dude, you got to give me something more than this. I'm like, dude, you're, you're killing me over here. And the guy's like, oh, we don't serve carbs at these events. People don't like carbs. And I'm like, God damn it. Bring well, some carbs to these events. Yeah. So where did they get these judges from? Was it? Um, was I'm it sure they're the, volunteers. The and, and what, they're volunteers. So you can't really bitch at people like who are volunteers that are out there that are taking part. The thing that, you know, and I guess all this stuff is so subjective, but you know what? Like, it's kind of like in the NFL. I mean, one, one strange call and a team wins and a team loses, you know, like all of a sudden these guys miss, you know, a, a few reps and it equals, uh, you know, a thousand pounds. And next thing you know, they go from being first or second or winning that event to, you know, being 20th because that's how tight the competition is. So, you know, I mean, that's the problem. You're always going to run into these things. And, you know, there's money on the line. And, you know, we got our event coming up this weekend. And, uh, you know, I expect, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to go up to this one. And, you know what, I, I expect that people, uh, you know, do what they need to do. And you have good judges and, you know, people are competent. But, you know, I really think what happens is, is that people try to enforce the standard. And it's like, okay, so what is it? Should the bar get direct? You know, it's easier to say, take the bar directly and lock it out overhead. Instead of being, yeah. oh, it has to be, a, you know, it, it's just, I think what happens is, is these people try to make it too specialized and it becomes impossible to judge. Yeah. So like, like one of their other things was on the toast to bar, both feet have to contact the bar at the exact same time. That's so, so it's like, you know, I'm watching these people that are doing one and two, both feet are hitting and it's kind of like, well, they weren't no counting them, but it, it's just, it becomes and this is my only caveat with these events is they become so specialized with these techniques that they become next to impossible to, uh, to, to judge. And then it's like, then you're going to get somebody who, who upholds it. Somebody else that doesn't yeah. uphold it. How do I know? I mean, it, it just, yeah. I mean, at that point it's like, dude, everybody should be there having a good time. But the minute you start putting money on the line, shit's going to get competitive. And uh, I don't know if you guys, uh, so in, we have a slightly different perspective on the event being that we run our own rather like pretty successful series you know we, we, this is one event that they have per year we're doing six ten of these a year okay and uh the round tables that we have we account for this type of stuff for our events like uh when cali comes up with programming the primary what we have to take into account is we have volunteer judges right and it's not to you know, put anything against these people, but you get what you pay for. So the programming has to be conducive to um, remedial judging, but you have to temper that with the correct weights and the correct reps to get the kind of suffering stimulus that you're looking for. So, uh, you know, but one of the takeaways, I guess, on a positive note, um, everybody was was shattered, just absolutely shattered by 135 pound clean and jerks and 135 pound thrusters and 135 pound lunges for men. And uh, the ladies were just a lot of them. Uh, I'd say majority of them, except for some bigger ladies, were just shaking under ninety-five pound, uh, ninety-five pound variations of those movements. And um, none of our athletes blinked an eye at it. Even even our athletes who, uh, you know, it's like ninety percent of their body weight, they were able to go overhead and pull that weight no problem. And uh, it was pretty funny. You you. <laughs> In our heats, you'd hear, oh, you know, Balboa Jacked is falling behind team so-and-so uh, on burpee pull-ups. 
And then you'd get to clean and jerks and they're like, Balboa Jack passes the, that team on clean and jerks. Cause we could just fly through that stuff. I mean, the weight was not a problem at all. So it was cool to see that, that, you know, the training response of our programming in our gym is, is clearly biased towards strength and power, uh, not necessarily body weight movements. And you could see us really overtake a lot of the, um, a lot of the competition on those, those portions of the events. And, and, you know, it's probably for you guys, it's probably rewarding in the sense that you already know that your program is biased towards that, but then to have it come out in some kind of assessment or test is like, um, like icing on the cake, right? Like, yeah, Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we know we program for that. And Oh, guess what? We're good at that. Um, yeah. that's cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Experience with local competitions is like frustration. I don't know if you guys had any regional or games athletes there, but um, when I go to local competitions, I oftentimes get frustrated because, you know, me being a nobody ho dunk old man, I get held to these standards that are, you know, like you said, the feet have to hit exactly at the same time and it's toes to bar. So if the, the top of your foot hits, it's a no rep. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Exactly. And then you get these games athletes come in and you know, they, they can do it, but they just get the people, the judges are almost like afraid to no rep them. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think there is a, a level of intimidation. I mean, you know, especially if somebody's an elite cr- CrossFit Games competitor, I mean, they come out and some guy's going to, you know, no rep them. I mean, I, you know, you saw at the SoCal Regional, you know, they had a big deal where, you know, a guy was pissed off that the judge was no counting him and kind of got up in his face and there was a big deal about it. But I, I don't know. I mean, it, Luke hit it best. You get what you pay for. I mean, you know, it's uh, and as you know, when you design these events, what you have to do is you have to take into account uh, the ability to look at a movement, process the movement, and decide whether or not that movement was a good movement. And it, the more complex and the more things you add, like, yes, the feet, the top of the toes have to hit the bar exactly the same, it, it, it becomes this kind of like, uh, you know, precision marksmanship. Yeah, and it's you're like, no longer like that. Yeah, it's, it, you know, and it's like, um, you know, like I always like, like, okay, ground overhead. However, you got to get there, get it done. Yeah, because you're not going to pen- you're not going to penalize someone on technicality. Yeah. it's about leveling the playing field, yeah. and that's what that's where we stick our standards on the team series. It's like that's why we end it with what we do. I mean, you yeah. know, you you know, once Go. you get all three teams in there, you know what? Let's push something heavy. I mean, uh, you either can do it or you can't. There's no standard to judge. Winner take all. And the reason we kind of really like that mentality is I don't want somebody to ever win something because somebody else lost on some weird technical technique technicality that you know it's kind of like uh i know this sounds terrible but when i competed in the crossfit games uh i have a bone chip in the back of my knee that prevents me from squatting i I can probably get two inches below parallel uh and then i have a pretty bad like a bone chip that's like a door stop in my knee so i get about two inches below parallel and what's it gonna do the thruster thing I showed the judge. I said, dude, this is as deep as I can squat. And I showed him. And he said, that's all you got? I'm like, try to push on it. And he's like, okay. So that's the standard. The very first rep I go, the head judge runs over and no counts me and proceeded to no count me for the first five reps. Finally, I like stopped and I looked at the dude and I was like, dude, I can't get any deeper. And uh, he looked at him and I like the head judge looked at him and he was like, dude, the guy showed me and it was something and like, it just becomes, you know, like, dude, I have some physical limitations from my previous job. So, you know, asking me to squat seven inches below parallel to where my ass hits the ground is not going to happen with a, with a bone chip in the back of my knee. So, I mean, it's like, you know, it is what it is, but you know, it doesn't mean that the person's not living up to their standards. So I don't know. I mean, when we design our events, 
I don't want anybody to win or lose based on some technical technical objective uh, uh, coaching or, or, or judging view that like, you know, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I don't remember if you remember the CrossFit Games a couple of years ago, but or two years ago when they had the Fran deal and, um, you know, the, the bar is like nine feet in the air and, and uh, the one girl is doing butterfly pull-ups. And from the ju- and from the where I was sitting, looking at the top of the bar, her chin never cleared the bar. But the judge is standing at the very bottom, looking up. And I mean, how is how is he ever going to judge that? Right. And then the girl blows it out and never got her chin over the bar. And I'm sitting there watching it because I'm in the stands, being like, "Dude, they counted those pull-ups." But yet, like the next judge, after that, they stood on boxes and were looking at the top, and they were no counting people. So it's like, how do you? have that girl do one event where the judge is at the bottom and then put a judge in a box and have a different standard. And that's, that's what I don't like. Dude. I, I like everybody. You know what? I don't have a problem with the standards. Just hold everybody to the same ones. And, and some of that stuff is hard to foresee. So, uh, had the response been a little different from the organizers of this event, like, Hey, you know, we're going to take that into consideration. We're going to get back to you. We're going to make changes right away and make an announcement. Uh, that would be a different deal rather than eh, it is what it is. And then fucking coming over and, you know, putting us through the grinder on, yeah, could, could, on could, yeah. speed snatching 155 pounds, you know? So. Yeah, so at that point I was like, you know what? It's best before I go. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, uh, things are just going to deteriorate for me. So I left. how was the flow and the time management by the managers? Dude, I, I will say they, they probably have one of the nicer facilities I've ever seen. I think it was a really great uh, organization. Mm-hmm. They had the street blocked off. It was like a street fair. I think they had like a, a great vibe and they had a great situation, um, you know, but unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But it, it was a great event. And I honestly, I think these local throwdowns and these competitions are great for building community, getting people out, putting them in a competitive environment. Uh, you know, I know there were there were a lot of CrossFit celebrities there. I think uh, Kenny... Uh, um, what's up here to finish the uh, games? Kenny Leverage. Oh, Kenny yeah. was there. Uh, uh, Kristen Cleaver was yeah, there. Was so there. I, I saw some celebrities walking around. It was pretty cool. But uh, it was, yeah, the time management was good too. Everything really ran on time and uh, it, it was fun. I mean, it, I have to say, as a competitor, it was fun. I mean, yeah, you're going to feel slighted with kind of this scenario that we went through, but I'll be honest with you, I, I anticipated it going in. Uh, into it. So, you know, in my, in my pregame speech to my team, it was, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of traditional stuff you hear in any sort of pregame deal. But at the end of the day, I just said, you know, we're going to get no repped. We're going to feel like it wasn't fair. What we have to do is walk away, you know, confident that we didn't make any mistakes in terms of execution. And and the best part about Luke's, uh, Luke is, you know, is the impromptu captain is he actually gave the speech from uh, uh, Animal House. <laughs> so, like, I, as I walk up, all of a sudden I hear you, you know, Luke screaming, you know, uh, you know, what happened when the Germans burned, uh, bombed Pearl Harbor? And at that point, I realized things just fucking the wheels had just fallen off this thing. And like, I looked over, I was just, just let him go. He's a roll. And you know what? I mean, he throws some Rocky quotes in there, you know, there's something about, you know, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, eat lightning, crap thunder. I mean, it was good. It was a collection of movie quotes. I mean, there was some fast and furious in there, but all in all, I think people got the gist and we were happy with it. Listen, a pregame speech without Vin Diesel is okay. not a pregame speech for uh, giving. Enough of beating this dead horse, which yeah. we love to do. Let's go. Yeah, what's next? <laughs> hey, you know, uh, going with the whole Rocky thing, Tommy Morrison, rest in peace. Yeah, 44 years old. 
Did they yeah. release a? I saw a, some a pictures of him, dude. I mean, oh my god! Did did he? Skinny, did they release I, it didn't even death? look like the same man. Wait, did, he, did yeah, they release exactly. a cause of death? They not the. I looked at it, uh, some stuff yesterday online, and they weren't saying. But he had HIV, so. Well, yeah, he, but he kept denying it. And well, his, he, his he girlfriend came out and said with some other kind of syndrome and. But it, he pretty much looked like he died of AIDS. I mean, if, if you've seen like a recent picture of him, he was thin, frail, you know. Well, he uh, he originally got tested and then they wouldn't then they suspended his license. He ended up going to jail. When he got out of jail, he uh, had said that it was a false positive and he ended up getting his boxing license back and fought. So, oh, I mean, I can't imagine that if he had been tested positive with AIDS that uh, or with HIV that they would have given him his license back. But maybe they did. I mean, I know he would had some drug problems and had gone to jail and had some issues. So, I mean, you know, however, it kind of goes down. I mean, he, uh, uh, you know. 44 years old is way too young to die. I agree. I agree. Rest in peace. Well, all right. Um, so it sounds like we got some more information for Wade's army. Yeah. Yeah. It's that what's, time of uh, year. What's going on with that, John? Yeah. It's at that time of year where the power athlete CrossFit football, uh, nation champions or what we call our weights wings or uh uh you know we call them the power athlete nation to get out there and what we're really going to call wade's army for those of you guys that are new to this stuff um there was a little boy named wade de Bruyne who passed away uh over a little over a year ago uh wade is the or was the son of a gal who went to school with my wife and while my wife was pregnant, uh, we saw this whole thing kind of unfolding, how, you know, this little boy had gone into the hospital and had contracted this, uh, this kind of aggressive cancer called neuroblastoma that attacks the nerve tissues in the body. And he contracted neuroblastoma, it went into remission. And the thing about neuroblastoma is if it goes in remission and stays in remission, you're fine. If it comes back the second time, it's pretty much fatal. Well, his came back. And he ends up passing away on November 11th, 2011. Uh, and it was pretty crushing, you know, because my wife and I are, you know, obviously pregnant with twins and, uh, you know, watching this whole thing kind of unfold under Facebook. And the saddest part is not this saddest part, but just one of the, the key sad parts is Wade was a twin. So he had a twin sister. And so, you know, my wife and I, you know, obviously she's pregnant with twins. We're watching this. And here's this little boy who's a twin who's passing away. And. It was pretty, it crushed us and he ends up passing away and uh, uh, they put a foundation together where they were raising money uh, for research on this relatively unknown disease. And my wife asked me, is there something we can do? And I was like, yeah, there's something we can do. So my <laughs> wife contacted them and um, said, hey, you know, we want to do a charity deal. And I think it was actually pretty funny that uh, Wade's dad contacted me and he said, you know, his wife first said, hey, a friend of mine from school wants to do this charity thing and kind of raised some money. He thought, oh boy, you know, big deal. And then when all of a sudden this thing went live and he realized not only who I was, but who, you know, who we were and how this whole thing was going, they got pretty excited. So we raised about 18.5 last year and our goal is to raise more. What we did is uh, we designed a t-shirt and we sold the t-shirt and donated all profits and proceeds to Wade's Wings. And uh, we're setting it up and going to try to come and, uh, uh, you know, double or triple that and try to get as much money as we can. Our goal was to raise $100,000 and uh, as quick as we can for 
research um, in the name of Wade Dubrun. And, um, you know, uh, two years old is is way, way, you know, way too young to, to have to deal with something like this and you know, whatever we can do. So we got uh, we, we got Tex on the team to uh, really bring this thing home. So I'll pass it off to him and he'll give the nuts and the bolts of it. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so we just want to build off of last year's success. And so what we did as Wade's Army is we really embraced Wade's Wings' mission. So their mission was to really put a, a name and a face to neuroblastoma. It's something that not a lot of people know about, although it is kind of the leading pediatric cancer killer. So everyone's heard of leukemia, kind of breast cancer and everything like that. So we just want to really raise awareness for that cancer in particular. Um, so we're just asking all of Power Athlete Nation to kind of become Wade's Army for the next couple months and start to raise money and work up to November 11th, 2013. So that's going to be two years after Wade's passed away. And we're going to hold just kind of a workout throughout the country, asking all of Wade's Army to participate. And our only real fundraising last year was John writing a blog post and putting it up on CrossFit Football and saying, hey, donate $30 and we'll give you a t-shirt. So we raised $18,000 just doing that. So we're kind of taking a different approach this year. So the approach that we're taking this year is creating an army. So having individuals recruit others to be a part of a fundraising team versus simply just donating. So we're still going to keep the same workout. We're going to keep that same date as our goal, our target. And then just asking everyone to everyone that donates gets a T-shirt or everyone that donates $30, excuse me, gets a T-shirt. And so it's how many people can you recruit to your team? How big can you make this? So we're kind of instead of just asking for one donation, we're asking for recruit more people, make this bigger than than cancer. I mean, we want to beat it. We want to stomp it out. So make this big. That's a, you know, as, as a as a parent of a two year old and a one year old, I couldn't imagine having to go through that. Uh, I've had friends um, who've had young ones that they've lost to cancer or, or I should say, and um, one of my former neighbors, um, his daughter had, you know, um, su successfully beat it. But I know in the back of their minds, um, you know, kind of like cancer and remission doesn't necessarily mean that it's over. Right. And, you know, I just, I mean, I'm in, you know, anything I can do to help, I mean, goddamn, yeah, I'll recruit as much people as I can, get my whole fucking gym to do that workout on November 11th. You guys just, you know, give me, you know, tell me what you need and I'll do my best to make it happen on my end. Yeah, ditto. Whatever Denny just said, ditto. I'll get CrossFit Gwinnett. We'll raise some money. Um, well, it, it, you know, Steve and Denny, you guys are like me, you guys are parents and, uh, you know, there's a lot of dads out there listening and it's like, you know, I mean, dude, it's like even seeing the story, like, and I, it was amazing how many people send me emails and uh, posted after they read the deal that were like, I was reading this and tearing up. And the funny part is, dude, as I was writing that thing, I was tearing up. I mean, you know, like I'm getting up, uh, you know, our girls were, you know, still at that same age where they're taking naps and you're, you know, you're getting up, changing diapers, doing this whole thing and trying to write this blog post. And you're just like looking at your kids and, um, you know, it just crushes you. My wife had another deal. Uh, she saw on Facebook, a friend of hers, a uh, little boy was born with, uh, uh, he had a genital, congenital defect and, and a hole in his heart. And they went in and, um, uh, tried to fix it. 
And when they went in to fix it, they had a, a chance of scarring in the arteries. And uh, he got out and they thought he was going to be okay. And then they went back and they looked and, um, you know, the arteries had scarred up and there was nothing they could do. And so little boy's 15 weeks old and they basically brought him home to live his last days at home and took him out of the hospital. And they're like, there's nothing we can do. We can't go back in there and fix it. We can't fix the scarring. The, uh, the arteries are too delicate. And, um, you know, I'm reading this thing on Facebook last night and his parents said, have to bring home this 15 year old or 15 week old little boy and wait for him to, to pass away. And I mean, Jesus, I'm just like, uh, you know, but by the grace of God, you know, I mean, that's a level of strength that those, that, uh, I, you know, I, I guess, you know, somebody gives you at the time when you need it, but man, I do that. I, we were reading that last night and crushed me and just made me realize how much more and, and, uh, how dedicated we are to really, um, you know, supporting this little boy and, you know, making sure that, you know, nobody forgets who he is and, um, you know, what we can do as parents and dads and just go out. It's just, no, I mean, it's, if dude, if, if it helps one person, it's worth it. And so, I mean, it definitely hits me yeah. home and for you guys too. You know, it's funny. Uh, Luke always says on here, like it's, uh, people helping people, but this is, uh, this is almost bigger than that. Right. It's, uh, it's heartbreaking to hear. And when, you know, you hear people talk about, Oh, I've got problems. And then you read these stories like, no, you don't have problems because you have a hard job or you work long hours or what have you. These are the kinds of things that really matter is your family. Yeah. I mean, pe- pediatric cancer is, uh, you know, I mean, dude, like I, it, it's funny, uh, you know, all these people, like we, we see all these guys growing the mustaches for, you know, uh, prostate cancer awareness and all that. I'm always like, dude, yeah. anything we can help. <laughs> I'm like, man, I, uh, you know. I wish that we could do something to give these kids the chance to live to the point where they might have to get tested to get prostate cancer. Yeah. To be able to grow even, get, you know, these kids aren't even getting there. So, I mean, it's like, you know, and it, it's, it's a powerful thing. And then, uh, um, and I remember, you know, I, I, I worked pretty extensively with autism when I was in the NFL. I mean, I would always go out to the, you know, Philadelphia to the charity walks and always try to do my part for autism. And, uh, you know, like seeing these kids and these parents and seeing the strength of the parents and that they were there supporting their children, how happy they were. And, and, uh, it was just always pretty inspiring to me. And then all of a sudden you have your own kids and you realize you're like, dude, I'm just not a dad to my kids. I'm a dad to all these kids and anything we can do to raise money and help. And, uh, you know, we're in, and, um, you know, and I, and I, I know most of the guys, most of the moms and the different people that are listening to this and follow our site, dude, there were people that were donating like a couple hundred bucks, you know, thousand bucks saying, please send me one t-shirt, keep the rest, anything you can do. You know, this is a great cause. So it was really, uh, um, you know, eye opening experience and more importantly, just kind of renewed our faith in, uh, in people. And, you know, I mean, obviously we kind of joke around and we get bogged down with a lot of the dumb comments and of some of the bullshit working and doing this job, but you know, uh, things like this make it all worth it. And, and definitely, definitely renew the, uh, the fire to, to to go out and create this community and really do what we're doing. So I thank Tex yeah. and those guys for, yeah. for putting this together. I really like the word army for this because it's kind of we're standing up for those that can't stand up for themselves. So we're just banding together, getting that group. And I mean, half these most of the kids don't even know what they're going through or experiencing. And half their life is spent going through treatment versus just growing up and living it. Yeah, dude, if I could. uh if I could just kind of share like a story, I, every year, uh, my older daughter and, and myself, we go and donate our, we do some volunteer work at George Williams college 
in uh, Williams Bay, Wisconsin. And my aunt, who is part of like, she calls it the Deerfield Optimist Group. Um, This group kind of puts on like a fair. And this fair is, like I said, it's at George Williams College. And there's like a two week um, camp, um, like a, a Bible camp that all of the um, part, you know, all the campers are kids who um, are battling, currently battling with cancer or the cancer's in remission and they, they're still part of this group. And they kind of go on this two week camping trip and it ends um, at this park and there's like a huge uh, biker rally. Um, there, you know, a big ride ends there. It's right on the lake. And, and my daughter and myself, we do like the face painting booth. You know, and these kids come in and some of them you would never think they don't look like they have cancer. You know, they look totally fine. And then you would, you know, you would see the ones who had lost their hair and stuff like that. And they're they're sitting there, you know, and if I'm painting like a little butterfly on their cheek or whatever it is, you know, they're real patient. And then when they turn and look and I kind of, you know, show them the mirror and they can see the uh you know, the butterfly or what it is on their face and they look and they smile and they kind of like have that moment, you know, like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm beautiful. I look great. And even, even if it's just for a few seconds that they're not thinking about the illness that they have and they're just like appreciating their own beauty, that's like more than enough payback for me. I mean, the, the, the pride and like gratification that I feel in those moments are huge. I, I can't even really put it in the words, you know, and it's, you know, it, it's easy to kind of walk out of a store at Christmas time and throw a couple of dimes in some kind of, you know, bucket and say, yeah, I give to charity, but to actually like participate in an event like this or volunteer in situations like what I'm talking about, that's where the true gratification comes from. You know, you, you see true strength, not lifting barbells and benching big numbers, but, you know, be a, be a, a, a young child having to live a life like that and wake up with a, try to wake up with a positive perspective every day. It's inspiring. Certainly. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so the, we're planning on getting the site launched by the 9th. So Monday the 9th, it'll give us a clean two months to kind of hit our fundraising goal and go from there. So we're gonna be asking affiliates to participate to host that workout November 11th and just power athlete nation parents spread the word. So we we've just taken on Wade's wings mission and really creating a name neuroblastoma that everyone recognizes and know how dangerous it really dangerous. It really is. Yeah, it's going to be good. No, we're, we're excited. You guys keep, keep an eye out. And, uh, hopefully the, the t-shirt design should be launched here pretty fast and um, it'll be pretty cool. We got our designer working on it and the take on last year and everything should be up and a, a real cool site to donate. And it's going to be real streamlined this year. So we're pretty excited. So. All right, we'll be at next. So uh, just, just on a side note, I wanted to throw it out there. So uh, the month of September, Luke and I are sitting down and finishing the power athlete book. So we've been uh, giving ourselves the next four weeks to be able to crunch all the information and put it all together and actually get it out to an editor. So we've been hammering on that. But it was actually interesting. Yesterday, as we were working, we decided we had to go lift some weights. So I took Luke over to a Globo gym, bodybuilder gym, and we did some dumbbell bench. Luke, what would you think? We had a good time? 
it was uh, it, it was interesting. I don't know how many of you guys out there here since training in a CrossFit environment have actually gone back to a 24-hour fitness or uh, a bodybuilder type gym and actually observed what's going on. But I definitely recommend it to everybody just to kind of renew your faith and everything. We we went in there and we left and realized. Uh, uh, things could always be worse. We could be doing what those guys are doing and not getting uh, – it just it was terrible. So what do you think, Luke? And it's kind of in response to some of the – a little bit by what you mean things can always be worse? Like what were the kinds of things – or are you leaving that up to the, to the listener to go into a gym and figure it out for themselves? Well, well here, it, it's kind of in response to just some of the – like John said, by nature of the beast, there's, uh, there's a lot of folks who jump into this thing, want to know everything at once, and they try to piece together their own – I don't know, uh, understanding of what works. And we get, we field email questions on some of the goofiest things we had. We have people tell us about the new exercises they invent. Remember that guy with the helmet that you jerk off of your head. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and like, <laughs> and this guy had basically taken a helmet and then built like kind of a pad on it and was like, basically like <laughs> bringing the bar down to the pad on the helmet and then jerking off of the helmet to uh, work on hip drive and neck strength for uh, being able to drive and explode and hit athletes or hit hip for football players hitting. It and was quite possibly one of the worst things we've ever seen. And, mm. and just to kind of barrel forward on the story so I don't drag it out any longer, uh, you know, when we go to these certs, we field, we, we require you to write programming and we give you a very specific goal to accomplish with the programming. And people miss so hard because their only exposure to training and strength and conditioning has been CrossFit. And like, because it works, like it, it does CrossFit works and traditional CrossFit programming works. But what we talk about at our, our football seminar is, you know, how do you skin that and scale it back and really optimize the application of that style of programming for an athlete. And it's, it's some very simple guidelines and, for people who haven't read John's application post, I mean, it's one of my favorite posts because it, it, it just holds so true to what we witness week in and week out. So with that said, that's kind of the frustration that that's what fuels some of our frustrations. It's just like, man, people are so misguided within this CrossFit circle. Like if they could just sit back and kind of see what we see. But then you go to a facility like this. <laughs> well, it, it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, so we, we roll in and this place is just packed with machines and uh, we decided, you know what, we got a short time. Let's just do some bodybuilding stuff. We're going to do some dumbbell bench mm-hmm. and we're going to do some uh, some side raises or something. So I think we did like, uh, what was it, 10 sets of 10 yeah. dumbbell bench, uh, you know, trying to get some failure, squeeze it up. Yeah, whatever it worked out. I think we we're just going to failure on everything. And um, it was interesting just sitting around watching people, not only what they do, but, you know, like here was the one thing that, that I observed is we were the only people in there sweating. We were the only people in there that were actually like, I think we were doing like between 60 and 90 second rest periods. And we were trying to just bang it out as fast as we could, because what, what else would we do? It was interesting. We watched people the entire hour we were there that were on one machine that were taking probably 10 minutes in between sets. You know, uh, the other day, <laughs> each I, rep took like six to 12 seconds from that guy with yeah. the table. It was like yeah, doing half rows. <laughs> So I actually went to this gym the other day and uh, I was training some leg stuff. And one of the guys in there, one of the, the head, I, the guy I call the head meathead, he uh, came over to me and said, bro, you got to chill out, man. You're working too hard. You're burning precious muscle. 
<laughs> and I was like, I looked at him. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, dude, you're sweating too much. He's like, dude, you're out of breath. You got to take longer rest periods. You're burning up all that precious muscle. And uh, I was like, makes sense. I'm not really. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it was just, it, you know, and it, it was kind of interesting. And then uh, I don't know if you guys saw I had a couple tweets that I started joking around, like things that you would never hear at a, uh, uh, you know, fitness event or, you know, things that you would hear outside of a, a bodybuilding gym. And it was just interesting to hear, you know, I heard one guy be like, yeah, I'm about eight weeks out. I didn't really know what that meant until he started talking more. And I guess he's eight weeks out from a contest or, you know, uh, I also had a guy ask me uh, in the gym, what did I do for my arms? Things you'd never hear in a CrossFit gym. Can you imagine walking into a CrossFit gym and be like, so what do you do for your arms? People would be like, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, it was just, it was super interesting because I haven't trained in that environment in forever, uh, you know, and uh, actually go in there and where it came from is um, I uh, uh, am doing some rehab stuff on my knee and my shoulder. And part of the rehab stuff is they didn't want me to load the joint in the standard movement patterns I've been loading it. So if somebody told you you couldn't load your, your, your joints in the same movement pattern you've been doing for the last couple of years, you'd probably have to go back and really have to reach think this. And so I was like, well, I'm going to have to find some machines. I'm going to have to find some other stuff. I'm going to have to try to, you know, I'm going to have to use some cables. I'm going to have to do some different things. And I had to get real creative with my own programming. I got to do this for a couple of weeks just to try to rehab some stuff and, um, you know, and, and, and address some of my weaknesses. And uh, there were some things that I'd left out of my programming that I'd forgotten about that I put back in, but it was, it was good for me to go back in that environment. And it's funny because when we go teach the seminars, yeah, we get frustrated. We're like, man, this is so, you know, you guys should understand this. And then we went over to this side and we realized how far ahead even the most basic CrossFit gym is, you know, like I always love where people are like, oh, CrossFit will get you hurt. The bad technique. Um, I've seen worse. I, I, I literally the technique that we saw on there. I mean, like, I, first of all, I don't know what the fuck people were doing. What they were doing wasn't training. That guy on the Smith machine with stacked benches with the dumbbells tied around them. Okay, so so this guy set up a Smith machine and he was doing pushups off the Smith machine with his feet elevated into like a plank like push up position, and then he had a uh, uh, like a, a the belt that you would use for like weighted dips or weighted pull ups, but he had it like up around his armpits. And then he had like two twenty fives hanging from it, and he was doing like quarter rep push-ups. And he was kind of like warming around to get it up, so his hips were all over the place. So the dumbbells are swinging, and his training partner is there to no, try. His, his, was that, his, dude, that was his trainer, and his trainer was trying to tell him, "He's like, that's great, that's great." He's there just to hold the dumbbells from swinging. And the guy was then trying to convince him that when he can do this movement well, he will obtain some level of fitness. I couldn't believe it. I mean, we, we were literally like in there, there was a, a guy in there who looked like he was in fairly good shape who was doing box squats uh, that literally should not have been doing box squats. Mm -hmm. I mean, dude, the knee was so far over. I mean, it's just, the problem is, is that, uh, you know. Application. Application and, you know, what people are really missing. Like, you know, I mean, there, there was some, there, there's some pretty big bodybuilders in there. Um, there's a, a lot of guys that are probably taking a lot of drugs really badly cause they look like shit. Um, you know, and you know, it's just kind of a weird social environment. I, uh, you know, what's interesting about a, a CrossFit gym is the only time people are going to socialize is before and after you come in early, you warm up, you see some people, you bullshit. The minute people say three, two, one, go, you do your work, you do your work. And you know what? Yeah. Like you set a time, this is what we're going to do. This is the amount of volume we're going to do. Three, two, one, go, you go and you hammer it out. And, you know, people are supportive. 
the problem is, is that what I realize is why the global and why these people are failing. And, and I, I, I said to Luke, I'd love to take a, a, a poll of these people. How long have you been training here? Have you made any goals? Do you still look the same? You know, what, you know, what's the major disconnect? Um, and, you know, what we realized is that uh, intensity and the ability to attack your training with a ferocity is really the difference between being good, you know, and then just, you know, just fucking going in there and doing bullshit. And, you know, yeah. that's what we've really looked when we look at our training, you know, we expect a certain level of mindset. You expect, you know, like, hey, we're going to, you know, like, and that's really, you know, with the rep max isn't going, you're always pushing, always pushing because there has to be, you know, some form of, you know, going past what you thought was possible, just coming in and doing a lat row, you know, moving your hand two inches and going slow and so, so controlled that you would never break a sweat. Uh, like it becomes pretty apparent, like really you know, what happens. I mean, I've, I've never heard anybody come to a CrossFit gym and tell me they, it didn't work for them. They didn't get any results. Or it was too easy. Or it was too easy. Uh, it was too easy. And, and we say that to start too, because um, part of what we find, part of one of the, the limiting factors of being a good coach is that people get too hung up on rewarding effort. Um, and, and what we say at the gym or at our gym and what we say with our clients and what we say at our seminars is like hundred percent effort is implied. Like you, when you walk in the doors of our gym at Balboa and you're there to train, I'm not ever questioning whether or not you're trying, you know what I mean? And that's kind of the CrossFit culture too. Like people are trying their hardest. Uh, and, and we really try to push to, to get out of rewarding effort and start rewarding quality. But then you see this environment where people aren't even trying. I don't know what these people were doing, dude, because they weren't trying. They weren't lifting. It wasn't heavy. It was bad movement. Everything was bad. It was just bad. So what I think we're going to do is uh, I'm going to join for three months and I'm going to bring my iPhone and I'm going to document some stuff <laughs> and I'm going to do a level. I'm going to start doing some blog posts on it. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been I've, I've been working on a bunch of uh, talk to me, Johnny posts, but one of them is, you know, the, phys the physiology of training and really why something like CrossFit works and, you know, that, the, you know, where the Russians kind of didn't take it far enough is they talked about circuit training and that had limited application for GPP. But what they didn't do is, you know, and Dr. Romanoff hit this, you know, right on the head. He said, you know, there was always a transition between GPP training to sport specific training. And, you know, uh, there, there had to be something else. And what CrossFit's effectively done is they've made the training in GPP into a sport. And, uh, you know, people are doing it and they're pushing the bounds. And, you know, why is it that the standard physiology that we know is, you know, CrossFit's kind of breaking some of the rules. And so I, I went back and I've been trying to really piece it together. And I, I'm going to make some leaps and some claims because there's nothing to really back up much of the physiology that we're seeing. And, you know, some guys are getting, I mean, some of these, uh, some of these CrossFit Games competitors, I mean, uh, you know, whether or not they're, who knows what they're taking, if they're taking anything at all. But, I mean, these guys are getting some phenomenal physical results and they're training at a high level and they're able to do a shit ton of volume. I mean, it's genetically selecting. It's pretty exciting. And we're going to try to wrap our heads around it. But, you know, what's amazing to me is uh, when I came, uh, you know, we always train in facilities for other athletes and I trained at athletes performance in different places. And I was never really exposed to this kind of environment. 
and uh, actually walking back in there and seeing what people do, you make you, you know, I mean, Glassman hit it right on the head where he said, you know, bad CrossFit is probably better than what 99% of the people are doing. I mean, so much so I kind of wanted to go and hand these people cards and say, hey, man, come see us. Like I guarantee even, dude, where, when you go like, into the gym, go into where, uh, where a GoPro? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, where a GoPro? And I'd love to hear some of the comments that people are going to be asking you. Yeah, I mean, dude, I, I I might just put a GoPro on my waist, like a like a pager or something, and just walk around and see what I can do. But uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, what blows me away is uh, I think people don't really have a template for working out. And this is something that you know I I never really realized is uh, you know when we go train at these facilities, there was always a coach. What are we doing? We're doing this. We're doing this, and we're doing this. And there was always a mission and a plan. There was never any like you know I'm going to go in there and just fiddle fuck around and. Uh, what I realized is that, you know, we provided a, a, you know, across the football, we provide a template, we provide an experience, we provide something to compete with and there, there's a goal and we move, we move forward. And it's like, you know, there's somebody that has to be kind of the wizard of Oz designing the stuff behind what I realized is these people don't have any wizard of Oz. There's really nothing. I mean, people are just going in there and I guess what they're doing is they're just doing stuff till they get their muscles pumped or they're doing things until, or, or they're seeing what other people are doing. And the problem is, is that when you take a bunch of people into a situation and they're watching who and, you know, who are they necessarily watching? They're watching probably the guy who's the biggest, most jacked dude in the room and they're yeah. watching to see what he does. The problem right. is, is, you know, obviously there's very there's some certain performance enhancements. I mean, there's very other who knows, you know, so it's like these people are looking, well, it's working for that guy. Why isn't it working for me? And it's because, I, you know. Uh, who knows? But I, I'm, I'm going to go back, um, you know, because I, 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 I got to use some different movement patterns and I got to do some hamstring curls and some things that my uh, they want me to do for some rehab stuff. And um, I'm going to drag Luke back a couple days. And uh, it's interesting. I, I had uh, I actually squatted there the other day and this guy was like kind of blown away. He's like, man, I, I, uh, I never knew that you were supposed to go that low in a squat. And I mean, we've seen, I've seen people doing quarter squats. I mean, I, I saw a guy actually tell me he was doing CrossFit and his workout was, uh, he was doing quarter, like just probably just an inch off his chest to his face, push presses, 95 pounds. And then he was doing 25 leg extensions. And then he was doing the landmine, but he was just kind of doing one arm fist pumps with it. And the guy did as many rounds as he could in 30 minutes. And I was like, so what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm doing this thing called CrossFit. You just grab as many, you know, you just pair up as many exercises as you can and you do them as fast as you can until failure. And I was like, leg extensions, fist pumps, and quarter inch push press. Interesting. Go. Mm. We Three, two, one, go rock it. You know, was he in good shape? No. One of the experiments you guys should do is go in and, and do, do CrossFit football. Uh, cause I, um, I've gone into the gold gym around here. And when I first started CrossFit, I did it at golds and people look at you, uh, the same experience that I, that you guys had people come up and be like, you, you need to cool out. You need to calm down. Like you can't, why are you doing handstand pushups? And I'm like, well, because they're good for you. And people were like, no, 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 no. Just, just use the dumbbells or the, the cable machine. Um, it's fun to see people, uh, respond to you. The, the, one of the things I want to ask you guys is how do you go into that place being, I mean, like it's hard for me to go in and I'm not any kind of elite level coach at any stretch, but you guys are, how do you go in and like, how do you not let the coach come out of you and be like, don't you just want to fix everybody? Or is it That's just a good comedy? Yeah. I mean, I, I should have brought cards. Uh, I, the first day I went there, I think we could have pulled like probably 10 clients that the first day I went in and it was just from squatting. 
like I, I think I squatted and I did, um, it, it was hilarious. I, I actually, the reason I, I went to the gym is we went in there one time because one of our other trainers used to work there and they had a safety squat bar. And so I was like, oh, this place couldn't be that bad. So I, when I went back in and I needed to do some hamstring curls and some stuff, I was like, oh, they got safety squats. So I squatted with it and I had a couple people come over and tell me, they were like, we'd never seen anybody use that bar. We were kind of, uh, uh, oh, I, actually one guy said he'd never seen anybody use the bar. Then the other guy said he'd never seen anybody free. He's like, I'd never seen anybody free squat with that bar because uh, people with safety squat usually hold on to handles and sit back with it. I was like, really? So you put the safety squat bar and then you hold on to handles and you squat holding on to handles. He's like, yeah, that's the only way I've seen people do it. I've never seen anybody free squat with it. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and so I, yeah, we, we did some, I did some squats with it and I did some, uh, what else is good is they have a slide board. So I had to do some slide board lunging and just some other different movement patterns that, uh, I just normally haven't done. So I got to try to do some rehab, but it, it was just super interesting to have people, to have you start training and then have people come over and start asking you questions and like, you're like looking at him and you're like, man, uh, you know, where do you get your knowledge? Like, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, I hate to, to beat a dead horse and say, you know, what are you training for? But more importantly, like, what are you doing? Like there was a, a, a guy in there yesterday, there was an old guy doing dynamic, uh, dynamic bench with, uh, with mini bands. And he had, um, it was the bar with two tens on either side. No, no, they were smart, man. No, but they were like two and a half pound plates. Yeah, so he probably had like sixty five pounds on the bar, and he was doing was he dynamic 12? triples, eight sets of triples. And uh, I was so tempted to go over and ask him what he was doing, but I literally I just went on with my life. It just it just seemed like too much of a fucking ridiculous deal. In Playtech, that's I mean, what's funny is one of my best friends came out to California, lived with me for a few months, and trained at the gym. And uh, he when he moved out. He had kept training, you know, became part of his life. And he started training at just a, a gold's gym. He's like, you need to get out of your gym and go train in the wild, man. He's like, you are going to yeah. see some crazy things. And it's going to, you know, do exactly what it's doing for John. And I. He's like, it's going to recalibrate your perspective on, on what people think works. And uh, you're going to meet some very interesting people, probably get some clients. And, uh, you know, it'll make for some great material. So I think I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to go with John for maybe how long are you going to be there? A month and a half? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to try. Like, so th this is what I also realized. I went in there and they were like, I think it's like 50 bucks a month or something. And so I said to the guy, I was like, no, I don't want to pay that. And he was like, so I kind of did a little Jedi mind trick, which people have used on us for years at the gym. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up negotiating it down. It was like three months for like a hundred. So I originally wanted like six weeks, but I ended up getting... 12 weeks for $99. So I was like, okay, I'll train here for $33 a month. And, but the problem is the guy's like, well, I can't give you a towel. And I'm like, well, that's fine. I'm going to sweat all over your equipment then. He was like, fine. <laughs> like, okay. So we went in there. Uh, the, the thing is, is that the gym would be an amazing CrossFit gym. It's oh, got to yeah. be at least 12, 12 or 13,000 square feet. It's got a huge roll up garage door. It's just a big ass warehouse. And it's right in a pretty big part of uh, Costa Mesa, like on, right on the main drag. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, I would love to buy to buy this place on the weekend or, or lease it on the weekend and just clear out all the crap and just put in a bunch of CrossFit gym and have people show up and be like, so you're here for the noon class? Awesome. What do you, and the people would be like, what are we doing? Being like, just go sit down over there. We'll get to you in a second. 
Hmm. I mean, it, it's just, it, it really is funny that, um, you know, I, I think training a, with uh, some high level athletes and doing what you're doing, you kind of get stuck in your little box and you, you, you know, what works, you, you know what you're doing and you kind of are in this brain trust. And, um, you know, we kind of live in this little world and, uh, you know, we travel, we teach at these gyms, we train at our gym and, uh, you know, we kind of like, you know, when we go teach the seminars, we get on people like you, you need to have more information. You need to have more knowledge. You need to do this. You know, why don't you guys know this? And we kind of really kind of hammer them and want them to be better. And then you go back out into a global gym environment like we're doing and you realize you're like, dude, like, like, you know, people are doing things in there that you shouldn't be doing. And, you know, they have no concept and there's really nobody. I mean, you know, here's gym membership. What are you doing? No idea. You know, I filmed a great video of a guy doing what I like to call a butterfly squats. He was actually coming to the bottom of the squat and his knees were caving so bad. It looked like his knees were butterfly floating back and forth. And I actually filmed it. And uh, I was because I was so amazed. I, I couldn't believe anybody was doing that. And his trainer was like, great. That's great. Just keep moving the knees like that. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's like that's uh, that's like um, trainer abuse or something. I mean, that's going to hurt people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, so assuming, they, that, you know, assuming it, that he doesn't have two and a half on the bar. Oh, no, he was, he was just doing the bar. He was 45. He was, it was oh. just a it was just a muscle day. It was just a pump day. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> but it, it's it, it's pretty it's, it's pretty interesting. So we're going to go back and, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll be able to help some people. Maybe it'll give us great more a little bit more perspective, um, you know. Uh, it, it's really strange too, to actually use some machines after only lifting free weights for last five, seven, 10 years of my life to actually go and throw some machines in. Um, and I, I wasn't kidding, literally hamstring curls on a, one of those hamstring curl machines are probably the worst exercise you could ever do. I literally, uh, I can, I can deadlift 600 pounds and doing some sets of 15 on the hamstring curls made me so sore. I couldn't even bend over for like two days. So <laughs> I was like, here's the thing though. What's the transferability of the hamstring curl, right? I mean, do you think your deadlift went up? I, I no. All, all I did exactly. was made me really sore to, to go over. But the, yeah. what the doctor wanted me to do is he wanted me to try to get some more motion in my knee. And so it was just more about some, uh, you know, being able to squeeze and kind of hold in that position at the top. And so they, they yeah, had some so, things. So for you, for you, it was a rehabilitation exercise. But I mean, for the average Joe, all it does is like make your hamstrings swole and sore. And I mean, the transferability of that exercise, I think, would be minimal to the big lifts. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, the, the other one too, that I observed that I didn't realize is that, uh, what most people do is at least at this place is they come in and they usually hit some form of single arm, like some form of unilateral single jointed movement to pre fatigue the muscle. So guys come in, they start like on like one arm tricep extensions and they do that for like, you know, 20 minutes and then they go in and they get into their bigger movement. So I realized that there's this kind of idea that you have to pre fatigue the muscle. And, uh, I, I, I still, um, I, I had to do some research into the bodybuilding terms about pre fatiguing. Um, but I, I still don't necessarily know how that applies where we're going to have to work through some of this physiology of bodybuilding, but you know what? I, uh, the bodybuilding what? stuff is, is interesting. We say it at the seminar, the bodybuilders have effectively found a way to make a bigger muscle. And if we're trying to put on weight, you got to know some bodybuilding and you know, you got to find some hypertrophy stuff and you got to know how to do it. And, uh, um, you know, we, we just happen to do it with big horsepower, multi-jointed movements and the bodybuilders tend to work for some more aesthetics and they do some more 
uh, you know, single jointed movements. But I, I think what's interesting, too, is that maybe there's something to be learned in that, um, you know, maybe there's some significant lagging body parts on some people. Like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I've seen some girls that, uh, that we've trained with who's, you know, big quads, big butts, no hamstrings. So maybe there might be something where throwing some hamstring curls or some single jointed kind of uh, movements in might actually pay some dividends for some people. I mean, you know, like we what people seem to always ask when well, my bench is crap, should I work on my triceps? Yeah. I mean, I, I like doing tricep pushdowns and some, uh, some curls with the bands. Like we were talking, like we'll, we'll jump out to here in a second. Maybe there's something to addressing some weaknesses by, you know, adding some single jointed movements. So I don't know. Uh, but, you know, obviously it would be individual to each person, but it's definitely, it's definitely amusing. It's definitely kind of recharged just a little bit. And I think we should drink some GoPros and film some more days in there. And I think you guys would get a kick out of it. Heck yeah. Hey, just to, uh, just to finish that conversation, you remember, uh, the bodybuilder, Mike Metzer from yep. the seventies. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, he's, he was the one that really, uh, yeah. Uh, the high intensity uh, yeah. interval training. He was the big hit guy. Remember? Yeah. Well, okay. So, like in the nineties, he he starts coaching Dorian Yates. One set to failure. This this high intensity, you know, going from like Nautilus curls to to whatever to whatever short rest periods. I mean, it was almost like he was trying the you know just like some basic CrossFit principles in a in a bodybuilding setting. Well. And, uh, like he only made it work for himself and Dorian Yates. I mean, I never heard of any other. Well, did did you ever watch the Blood and Guts, which was Dorian Yates' training video? Yeah, and his partner Leroy. Come on, Yates. He did Show one them, set Diesel. to failure. He, he did <laughs> one set them. to failure, like his top end set. But the guy had like fifty warm up sets that were all like super heavy. Like I remember he did like his final. He's like, yeah, he's just gonna do one set to failure. And it was like he did like 585 for a set of 10 or 12 on this on the uh, the bent rows, but the guy did like 225 for 30, 315 for 25. He did like 405 for like four sets of 10, and then he did like 495 for one. I mean, the guy did so much volume that he was building up. Yeah, he had one peak set, but you know, um, Tom Inkledon, uh, when we were kind of talking about some of the bodybuilding stuff and really muscle growth and really how you kind of drive adaptation and really force adaptation is. It has to be to failure. You have to have the point where the small muscle fibers and every, you know, systems are failing, things are turning on, that if you never push the boundaries of what you can and can't do, you'll never force the body into adaptation. And I mean, you can go back and look at Arnold's deal where he said, you know, if I could do uh, four, you know, four reps, I needed to be able to do the fifth rep. If I could do the fifth rep and I had a sixth rep in the tank, then the fifth rep didn't mean anything. It was the sixth rep. And if I had a seventh rep in the tank, it wasn't the sixth rep, it was the seventh rep. And it was kind of a, um, one of those things that you look at and you're like, okay, so is the reason that the CrossFit is so successful is that people are literally doing these movements to failure, that they're going to the point they're pushing the bounds of what they could not couldn't do, that it's this level of intensity, whether or not you're doing barbell thrusters with intensity of like, I'm going to go and do this barbell thruster until I can't do another barbell thruster. Or is it something like the bodybuilders where I'm going to do this weight until I can't do this weight anymore. And then I'm going to try to do one more. If I can get one more, I'm going to do one more. And I think that's where I'm really starting to kind of understand some of the, um, you know, the lactic acid threshold and really the, the physical response from some of this stuff, whether it's the training, that there has to be 
you know, you, you look at the best guys in the world, there has to be something where they're pushing it to failure. There's an overload principle. You're doing more than you thought that you could. You're doing one more pass what you thought was possible. And I think that's what CrossFit is naturally breeding in with this, you know, hey, we're going to do this as fast as you can. You're going to do it. And, I mean, because people go until they implode. Like I've watched people do. I mean, I remember the first time I did Fran, I did 21 reps, 21 pull-ups in like, you know, under a minute. And then it took me four minutes to recover to be able to get to set 50, uh, the 15-15. So, I mean, like that really becomes the stimulus. Like, are you doing these movements? I mean, you're moving at, at a, such a fast pace that you're going to utter failure and then people implode and laying on the ground. That's what I think is really the secret to this stuff. And I think the people in the bodybuilders, like you said, Dorian Yates and Mike Metzner, that were getting great results, were training short rest times. They were pushing it, force reps, forcing the body to failure, and pushing, 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 and handing some great uh, tonnage and, you know, and doing it with a, you know, diet and obviously some extracurriculars, a lot of sleep. And they were training like they needed to train. So, um, when you, when you go into like, like Luke and I going into that commercial setting and seeing the people that were getting results versus the people that weren't, the biggest thing wasn't the movements. It wasn't the sets. It wasn't the reps. It was the, the train, the, the level of intensity at which they were attacking the movements. That's what I think is, is, is what's like, just, just from just seeing it, like, Going from like this CrossFit environment where we train at CrossFit football, we teach the seminars, we see people fucking killing themselves to get better. And you go into there here where people are like, stop working out so hard. You're going to burn muscle. And then you're looking at the guys that are really getting some good results are the guys that are fucking literally like sucking the marrow out of their workout, trying to crack the bone and eat it more so than the guy that's like, oh, I'm just going to go over here and do, do this, do this. I don't want to sweat too much. You know, I'm just here to be healthy and this and that. And uh, I think that's, you know, something that we really take for granted. Like Luke said, we expect that you're going to give me 100 percent effort. I expect that you are going to try and kill yourself to do this. Like that's just expected. And that's the culture we breed. And I think that's the difference between the CrossFit gym and that and why people get the results and why people don't. Well, and just to sort of add to that, it's not just like you being the big you like coaches or gym owners that expect hundred percent. When you put it into a CrossFit environment and you build that community, what I found, at least in our gym and the gyms I've been around is the other members expect hundred percent. The other members push you in ways, um, you know, I could geek out on psychology stuff, but social facilitation is a powerful thing. And when you're working and you're getting that sixth rep, maybe I have a seventh and somebody is in your face saying, do not let go of that bar. All of a sudden you do things that your body, you didn't think your body could do the end of the day, you're pushing that threshold higher. And so it's, you know, I think, uh, in CrossFit, you become accountable. I don't know if your experience at the Globo gym was, um, everybody's wearing headphones and nobody talks unless a guy is hitting on a girl. That's been my experience at the gold. Well, we saw a lot of dudes in there that it looked like a social club that were kind of like slap dicking around, like talking with each other in between <laughs> sets. And then there's a bunch of guys that, that have headphones on. And then there's, um, you know, like there's a weird kind of social underpinning, and uh, what was interesting was uh, when I was in there training the leg stuff, I was flying in between the, the you know, the, I was literally pushing it so hard. You know, I, I'm not really going to have an opportunity to talk to somebody, but it was interesting to have people come over and ask me some questions about some stuff. And like the whole time I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, dude, you're fucking slowing me down. You know, yeah. I got a small window to do this shit. I, I, you know, I mean, it's almost like you want to hand in your car and you're like, hey, come, come talk to me on, on your dollar. Right, this is my time to, to come train. So, yeah. Um, 
I think the, yeah, one, the level of accountability and two, you know, that really pushing. And then, you know what, like if you put people into doing basic and I'm I'm not going to use the word functional because it's been beat to death, but literally basic compound movements and you're asking them to push the levels of what they can and can't do, get stronger, bigger engine and this. And, you know, and then obviously cutting out the crap and allowing them to eat a better diet and then, you know, adding frequency to the, uh, uh, you know, the training effect by showing up and doing it and actually having some accountability. Uh, honestly, I, I think results come. I think why people mostly fail with these things is one, um, it, it, it's, I mean, the, the lactic acid, you know, response you know, when you're trained to failure like that for a heavy compound movement is much different than if for a single jointed small movement. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then people are hopefully if they're loading their, their, their training properly, you know, then they're reducing that cortisol effect. I mean, something to think about is, you know, people have to train to their level of adaptation. You know, somebody like a rich Froney can do seven or eight workouts a day and he's probably not going to get a huge cortisol response because he has effectively loaded his volume to the point where he can handle that. Now, if right. you take somebody else and all of a sudden they get thrown into that environment, dude, they're going to be in a, a state of utter fucking overtraining and panic and their body's going to go into shutdown and they're going to have some problems. So I think what we're really seeing is that this program has been around long enough that now that you're seeing people that have effectively started at step one and gone to 10 and are able to handle these pretty significant volumes and, you know, and still get, you know, pretty potent uh, uh, androgenic response. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. So it, it's interesting, but I mean, I, I definitely, I, dude, I, I want to take all of our coaches and just be like, Hey, we're going to go over and train at this place a couple of days a week, just to have you guys, you know, get out of your bubble and see what you're doing. And I think it will renew your passion and more importantly, give you more perspective on, you know, the people that walk through the door, it, you know, and, and I, I hate to use the analogy because it's been beat to death too. Like the whole fight club mentality. It's like, dude, like, People are looking for something different. Luke and I talked about it yesterday. Like we were looking for something different. I was looking for a community. I was looking for a group of people that like easy would no longer suffice. And I found it. Luke was, had done a triathlon and, uh, you know, got invited to go to a CrossFit gym and thought I'm in good shape and then got smashed by some, you know, some elderly women. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, so and then realized changed. I didn't know what fit was. And, uh, you know, we went to these situations and thought, like, I mean, I'm a professional athlete. I go to a CrossFit level one and I look over and dude, I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but I went to my CrossFit level one on day two. It was like a med ball clean burpee workout. And, uh, I was in the second group and the first group as they were getting done, like the last guy to finish, everybody like went around and they were cheering for him. And like, there was like housewives and guys and dudes. And the guy, the last guy was like a pretty, he was just pretty muscular black dude. And literally like these house moms are around cheering for him. And at which point I got this like sick feeling that like I was going to be the last one and some like <laughs> housewife is going to be cheering for me and I'm going to be fucking humiliated. So I go do the workout and I'm literally fucking killing myself out of the mere fear. And I look over and there are these two, um, two ladies that were probably in their thirties or forties that were literally ahead of me in the workout. And I was like, mother of God, I'm not losing to these fucking ladies. I literally crushed myself because I didn't want to have them come over and have to congratulate and you know what? Like it teaches you something about, and you know, something I had, I, you know, I had not understood in my training just because I knew I needed to lift heavier weights. I needed to run as fast as I could. I needed to do everything to be able to push the boundaries of what I could, but I, I, I never really 
had kind of seen it in that way just because I hadn't been involved in that environment. So it was great for me. And it really kind of showed me that, dude, you got to level intensity when you walk into this shit. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, let's, let's talk about, uh, submissions to the power athlete headquarters. AJ Belch, great name. That's right up there with Mike Fart and Joan Queef. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, AJ. I, I'm sure growing up with a name like that, it's not the first time you've been harassed with that. So, Ida asking, what about Ida Felcher? That was a better one. <laughs> That's yeah. true, right? What's that from? Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, yeah man. I got to get up on my movie trivia. All right. I'm an assistant coach with a college football team, and I'm fortunate enough to have some input into the strength and conditioning side of stuff, too. I've seen a lot of people post about using bands to do some extra assistance work. I think Professor Booty is pretty fond of banded buys and tries. Is that true, Steve? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, uh, I like banded tricep pushdowns and, and working biceps. Only, I, um, you know, when I tore my bicep tendon, um, it was part of my rehab and I just feel like for me, it helps create like a part of like a, a more stable shoulder to elbow complex. So yeah. And you know, nothing wrong with having some arms. Right, right. So he finishes, he says, is there any advantage to bands over dumbbells or is it just an issue of availability? Uh, it's going to be a different stimulus. Um, I, I think the, the stimulus of the band is interesting in that it has kind of a constant eccentric load. So as you're pulling it, like the band obviously is, uh, at one point is not as hard. And then as you get to the top of the contraction, obviously the band will be more stretched and must be harder. And then as you go to rebound and, you know, and obviously go into that eccentric load, there will be more kind of constant eccentric load. So I think the band has benefit. Um, I actually, when I do the buy and try stuff, I actually superset uh, the uh, uh, banded, standing banded curls with hammer curls. And I find that um, heavy hammer curls are one of my staples in my training. Um, and I, I just feel like it's uh, the hammer curls have directly have, uh, been very, very positive for helping me with a bigger bench press. So I do the heavy dumbbell curls and then I use the standing uh, band curl or the standing curl or bands, uh, the green bands. And I do like little blowout sets. So I might do like a set of 10 at like a hundred pounds with the, with the hammer curls. And then I'll go over and I will do the, the standing uh, uh, band curls until I cannot straighten my arms until my biceps blow out. And then I'll rest for like 30 seconds to a minute and I'll go back, I'll do 10 and then I come over. So I kind of use them both. I would never, prefer one over the other. Um, but I think it's just another training stimulus and, uh, another way to attack different things. So, uh, my, my answer to him would be yes, do them both. Tex, you got anything to add to that one? Did we lose, did we lose Tex? Uh, his arms aren't that big. Don't worry about him. No, I was in the restroom. <laughs> so we're on AJ's question. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mix it up. I mean, uh, I had the hammer curls like John. John and I talked football training program a while back, so I threw in the kind of uh, using CrossFit football as a shell and threw in all these kind of extra stuff, and my bench is back to going up. So I threw in the hammers. Uh, I'll throw in the bands too. 
don't have any personal experience with it, but I uh, can't see how it doesn't it can do any harm. Nice. All right, gentlemen. Well, that puts us at about 60 minutes. Uh, Tex, thanks for joining us. And John, you're awesome. You're the man. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for being out as well. And uh, if there's if, if there's nothing left, that's it for episode 24. Cool. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All, All right, right thanks, guys. Talk, we'll guys. talk to you next week. Cool. Yep.